Good evening, everyone. If you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Hebrews. Two readings for you tonight, book of Hebrews and then one, one verse in Psalm 23. Um, as we read this, you'll see how applicable that last verse that we have just sang tonight is to what we want to look at tonight. Um, we've, been at, we've been in the series, or like listen to the series through Pastor David of No Greater, and I was thinking tonight, as we look, look, at the, um, look at the journey of death tonight, if we can give it a title, if I can steal Pastor David's No Greater Journey for the Believer. So really tonight is what we're looking at, that, the, the wonder of Calvary, and, the, and that great journey of death that we as believers one day will have to take. So No Greater Journey tonight. So let's read Hebrews chapter 2. Verses 5 through to 15, and then we want to read just one verse from the 23rd Psalm. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5, and Scripture reads, for he, spe- for he has not put the world to come, of which we speak in subjection to the angels. But one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all things in in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not see yet see all things put under him. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God might taste death for everyone. For it is fitting for him, for whom are are all things and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory, to make the author of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. And as much then, as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same the through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and to release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. If you put a marker there, if you put a bullet or put something in there, we want to come back to that later. And turn to, turn to the 23rd Psalm. Honorary just verse 4 of Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. If you will, keep your Bibles open. We'll have a word of prayer and keep your Bibles open. Just at Psalm 23. One look at Psalm 23 first and then we'll turn over to the book of Hebrews. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we've been singing tonight, singing praises of the one who has risen. And Father, we can say tonight we have the greatest hope because of Jesus Christ lives. And Father, tonight as we come to your word, we cannot cause anxious thoughts. But Father, I pray by your spirit that you'd be present, 
that you'd be real in our midst tonight, Lord, and that every one of us would leave tonight saying it was good to be here because here Almighty God met with us, we pray. We ask in our Savior's name. Amen. Folks, it, 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 it was never my attention when David had me booked for tonight to really go to this 23rd Psalm and what we've been looking at in the prayer meetings over this last number of months. But it was only when I realized and read the next verse that we should have looked at that I thought how applicable that is, how relevant that is to the Easter season. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. No, you know, that verse, in a sense, in its reality, only has its, only, only realizes its true meaning because of Easter and because of the risen Lord Jesus. Because it only, it only accomplishes its, its entirety, in a sense, because of the events of Calvary and because Jesus Christ has died and has risen again and is seated at the right hand of the Father. So I want to look at three thoughts tonight. Having them up on the screen, but the three thoughts are this. First one is this, uh, the presence of the shepherd. Then we want to look at the pain of the shepherd. And then we'll look at finally the purpose of the shepherd. Presence of the shepherd, the pain of the shepherd, and the, purchase, uh, and the purpose of the shepherd. So Psalm 23, verse 4, the presence of the shepherd. You know, if you've been following us in the permit, and if you've been there up to now in Psalm 23, we've been, like David the psalmist speaking as being one of the sheep of the flock of God, has been singing the praises, how wonderful it is to be part of the flock of God, how wonderful it is to have the Lord, Lord as a shepherd, even though there's challenges, even though he leads us in righteous paths, that sometimes can be journeys can be difficult, but it's always too, too like a better place. He's been singing the praises and how wonderful it is to have Jesus as a shepherd. And yet when we come into verse 4, the language changes, if you notice. The language of David changes. He, and, and instead of, of like addressing the shepherd as the one who's wonderful, he now says, he, he now personalizes, like he now speaks to the shepherd directly. We see the change in the language. He says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Up to this point in Psalm 23, the shepherd has been going ahead of the sheep. The shepherd has been going ahead, leading and guiding, providing and all the rest. And yet now we find in verse 4, the shepherd is no longer leading and no longer ahead of the sheep. The shepherd is actually alongside the sheep. The shepherd is now alongside the sheep in what, the, in what David describes as the valley of the shadow of death. Now, the valley of the shadow of death, that phrase, that phrase translated is, is like, translated from one word in the Hebrew, the word salmut. And it's used many times in the, in the Old Testament, some 20 times. Mostly, mostly it's used to describe times in people's lives where they've been difficult, like maybe occasions where they've been hard and, and like life has been tough. Job, for instance, uses it many, many times and he speaks of what happens to him. And he speaks of reference of all that happened to him, all that he lost, his family and his animals and his livelihood. He speaks much of the valley of the shadow of death. But the literal translation and the literal meaning is, speaks of us, the final journey that all of us will have to make. It literally means the valley of the shadow of death for us, spiritually and physically. 
And yet I want you to note in that phrase that David uses, he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. For many in our world, their, their understanding of life and what comes after life is that life is the end, that death is the end. Death, death, once death comes, there is nothing more. There's no hope beyond the grave. There's no comfort or peace beyond the grave. Many in the world today do nothing of the reality of the Easter message. They know nothing of the sacrifice of Christ for sin. They know nothing of the risen Lord Jesus. They, have, they know nothing of the no greater hope that we can have in knowing Christ personally as Lord and Savior. And yet for the believer, it's different. Remember the psalm was about a psalm about being, being part of the flock of God been part of the flock of having Christ the good shepherd as the one who's leading us simply put in our modern day languages it's about it's been been part of the family of God as born again believers in Jesus Christ and as we read that phrase yea though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death we need to realize as believers that death is not a place that we that we have to stay in death is not a place of finality in fact death is a door that we have to go through as someone put it, to, to, to usher us into the valley of delight. To usher us into the presence of God for all eternity. And we'll see that later as we come to look at Hebrews. You know, life, um, I don't need to tell you all, and life is, life can be difficult at times. Life can have its trials, its struggles, its ups and its downs, its good and its bad. And it's in those moments where it's difficult and trials come, it's good to have companionship. It's good to have friendship. It's good to have someone that we can relate to or someone that we can come alongside and we can talk to and share with without them judging and questioning. And there's many people, I'm sure many, even many people here tonight can recount times of friendship with people. But that when life was difficult, when there's struggles coming, unlike when there's trials Someone has said that the best person to comfort someone who's bereaved is actually someone who knows a similar bereavement, bereavement of themselves. Or the, best, or the best person to minister to a broken heart is often that person who's known their own heart broken as well at some time in their lives. And yet when we think of all the trials and all the, all the difficulties and all the challenges that can face us in life, there's one journey that we must make without human company. One journey that we must face in a sense, on our own, and in that sense, humanly speaking, is actually the journey of death ourselves. When we close our eyes in death. And yet we're not a people, yet we're a people that aren't without hope because we're a people, we're a people that have, as believers in Christ, with that greatest comfort to say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we have the company of the shepherd with us. We have the promise at the presence of the shepherd all the way. But the question is asked, and we can ask the question, and we, and we can rightly ask the question, but what qualifies Jesus Christ? What qualifies Jesus Christ to be able to be with us always, even to the point of death, or even through the journey of death? Yes, we have the presence of the shepherd. We're promised the presence of the shepherd, but what qualifies Christ? What is there in Scripture? What is there about his person? What is there about his life that says, yes, 
We can trust, we can believe these words. Yes, we can have the shepherd with us at all times. For that, turn with me to what we've read in the book of Hebrews. Yes, we have the presence of the shepherd, but in Hebrews 2.9, we're told of the pain of the shepherd. Let's read Hebrews 2 verse 9 again. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. The book of Hebrews, if you know anything about the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, the author is writing to a group of Jewish believers who are, in essence, struggling in their faith. Struggling to see the superiority of Christ over Judaism. Struggling to fully grasp the wonder of Christ and the completeness of Christ. And in a sense, they're saved by the grace of God, but they're looking back to some of the trappings of Judaism and wondering, have they left things behind in a sense that they maybe shouldn't have left behind? So the writer starts off in the book of Hebrews and it really is a book about the superiority of Jesus Christ over Judaism as a religion. And in chapter 1 he starts to build a picture of Jesus Christ. He starts to build a picture of their saviour. And he starts to build a picture by saying that, that Jesus is the son of God, the final revelation of God in God's and time past has, has sent the prophets and has sent different people to, to, uh, to reveal himself to, the, to them. But he finally has sent his son, Jesus Christ himself. And that son was the sacrifice for sin and the final sacrifice for sin. And then in chapter 2, he comes to show Jesus as the one who became capable of understanding death and the, that last enemy of mankind. See, when we come to chapter, or when we come to, come to verse 9, verse 9 takes us to the incarnation of Christ. A time when Jesus was made a little lower than the angels. A time when he was born, in the, born as a baby in the town of Bethlehem. You know, for Christ to be able to fulfill the role as shepherd through death, for Christ to, to be able to fill the role for that great journey that all of us will have to make except the Lord returns, for Christ to be able to fulfill that role, he needed to be made a little lower than the angels. He needed to experience death itself. And in taking on humanity and, and taking on the form of a human being, he, he took on himself that nature that was capable of dying. A role that the angels couldn't do. A role that the angels were unable to do. Now the wonder of it is, is this, that when the angels sang on that Bethlehem in Hillside, as they, as, they spo- as they told the t- shepherds, as they pro- proclaimed to the shepherds about the, about the Messiah born in Bethlehem. Here were they proclaiming to the people that the Christ had come, and yet he was the very one, the very one that lay in the manger of Bethlehem, was the very one at the start of time created those angels. And yet as he lay in that manger in Bethlehem, he had took upon himself the nature of man, and he had himself made a little lower than the angels at that time. And we need to grasp, what we need to grasp tonight as believers, as people, is is that Christ needed to take on that humanity. Christ needed to take on that humanity so that he would be able to die. 
But it's wonderful when we grasp, it's wonderful when we grasp the reason why Christ did that. Verse 9 says, if we, if we abbreviate a bit, says yet that Jesus was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for everyone. There's two things we need to understand in this. Firstly, the fact that when Jesus, at his birth, at his incarnation, took on mortality or took on humanity, does not mean that he was subject to death as we are. We are subject to death because of our sinful nature. We're subject to death. All, all, that, all, that, all that whoever born will always die because we've inherited that fallen nature from Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, when, when, when Adam as our figurehead in the Garden of Eden, as our first parents, disobeyed the word of God and took of the fruit, that sinful nature that they had then is the sinful nature that each and every one of us have inherited. No matter how pretty, no matter how wonderful we think our child is, all, have been, all the scripture tells us all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, each and every one of us. Paul in Romans, Romans 5.12 clarifies this when he wrote to the Romans and said this, Therefore as by one man sin entered the world, and death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. By one man, by Adam, all of us have sinned. So we as people, when we, when we die, it is, it is the result of sin, it is the result of that sinful nature. We cannot stop it, we, we cannot hinder it, we can buy all the anti-aging products we can like, but death will come. Death will come in the end. And yet the wonder of it is when we think of Christ's humanity, when we think of Christ's mortality, when we think of, think of Christ, Christ's humanity was holy and, and holy like an, 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 an incorruptible. There was not the smallest seed of sin in Christ that death could attack. There was not the most minutest of blemish within the nature of Christ that the death could attack. The death could attack like a cancer and spread through his body that he would eventually die. See, when we come and think of the death of Christ, we need to think of it in, of the terms and then what he spoke of it himself. Turn back with me to John 10. And John has been speaking about this over this last number of weeks as well. Turn back with me to John 10 and we'll look at a few verses there when we, what, that, that shows us the reality of the Christ's death. John 10, verse 17 and 18. Jesus is speaking of himself as being the true shepherd, of being the good shepherd. And he says in verse 17 of John 10, Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This is the command that I've received from my Father. When Christ laid down his life on the cross of Calvary, it was a voluntary act for us. It wasn't taken from him. He laid down his life and he had the power to lay it down and he had the power to take it again. None of us can hinder death and none of us have the power to take up life again. Of ourselves, we're sinful and that was happens. But of Christ's death was a voluntary act. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For he that is God made Jesus sin for who? knew no sin to be sin for us, 
that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That is the reason for the pain of the shepherd tonight. That is the reason for the pain that Christ would endure the death on the cross. So if Christ's death for us was a voluntary act because there's no seed of sin in him, secondly, Christ's death for us was a death of suffering. It was a death of suffering. You know, when we, I don't know if you get to that stage where you read obituaries or you read death notices in papers or, or whether online you, you, you often read he died peacefully in their sleep or he, or he slipped away peacefully. Yet when we look at the death of Christ, we cannot say that his death was anything or it, wasn't, it was anything but peaceful. Paul wrote to the church at Philippi and he said this of Jesus' death. That Jesus became obedient to death, even the death on the cross. No, there's no more cruel, no more barbaric death than the, the, than, than the death of crucifixion that the Romans had, had like devised for putting to death to people. And Christ's death was an agony on two fronts. There was a physical agony, there was a physical agony as he was nailed to the cross, as his body had been beaten and marred beyond belief as he died at the hands of sinful men and of Satan. There was that physical agony. And yet there was that inward agony. There was that spiritual agony. That agony as he bore the wrath of God in himself. And yet it was a death that fully satisfied the holy justice of Almighty God. So I think sometimes when we read the Easter message, when we read the Easter story, we, we as humans, and we can't, we can't fully grasp the, the wonder and the amazement of it all. Like when you think of the Garden of Gethsemane, think as Christ went to the garden with his disciples and as he prayed and his, and his disciples fell asleep and he urged them to watch with him and pray with him and they didn't. It says that he went a little further and he prayed, Oh my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus' death was no ordinary death. It was one which he was willing to drink the cup of the wrath of God against sin. I wonder if you ever, in fun or in badness or whatever you want to say it, Given someone somebody something to drink and you've let on that it's something else or you've let on that it's something reasonably nice rather, rather than what it is and it's maybe something like lemon juice or something really bitter and you know the result and you know that look in someone's face when they've tasted something where it is not what they expected and you see the face recoil and the face twist and all the rest and they take the cup and they put it as far from them as possible. Maybe you've done it, maybe you've done it and people, maybe it has happened to you. Something that once they have tasted, they have no intention of taking another sip. No intention of drinking of that bitterness ever again. And yet when we think of the cup, the cup that God, that God the Father asked the Son to drink, that cup of the wrath of God, he just didn't sip the cup, he just didn't taste the cup of the wrath of God. But Scripture would have us, have us believe and understand that he drank all of the cup of the wrath of God willingly. Think of him drinking the cup of the wrath of God for us. And yet when we go on and read Hebrews 12 too, Scripture says that 
who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. You know, it's hard to drink medicine that doesn't taste well, and yet we know it's to do us good. Yet it's hard to take something that we're forced to take, take that, take that we have to take, that someone's making us take. And yet when Christ drunk the cup of the wrath of God, when he endured in himself the, 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 the eternal punishment for each one of us as believers, a punishment that for one of us would take an eternity, never ending. And yet then himself in those hours on the cross, he, 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 he drank the cup of the wrath of God in his completion. And the scripture says he did it. He endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. You know, the pain of the shepherd, the pain of Christ on the cross is something that we will never, never understand. One of the images that scripture paints or scripture presents for us is as, um, or, or, or of the Christ is this, that he is the Lamb of God or he is the Passover Lamb. Passover in Egypt was, was first instituted when the children of Israel, when the tenth plague was about to come on the land of Egypt, when Pharaoh up to now, up to the ninth plague, had not allowed the children of Israel to leave the land of Egypt to go to God's promised land. The Passover was instituted, and the Passover, I'm sure many of you know, the children of Israel on the night that the angel of death was to pass over the land, they were, they were to take a lamb without blemish. They were to take that lamb and they were to kill it and they were to take the blood and paint it on the doorpost and on the lintel of their homes. That when the angel of death passed over, he would see the blood and he would pass over the house and the judgment of God would not come into that home. And yet, as we read the story and we read what they're to do with that lamb and what they do with that lamb, one of the things they were to do with the lamb is this, and the words is this, they were to roast it in fire. They were to roast it and fire. There is no doubt that as Jesus Christ hung on the cross and died for our sins, as the Passover lamb, as the lamb of God, he understood the meaning of been roasted in fire when he suffered the wrath of God. So in Christ tonight, we have the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. Having tasted death, he understands what, what, what each of us as believers face as we face that final journey, as we face that great journey of death. But through his death and through his sacrifice, he has taken away that sting. It says in verse 15, to release those who through fear of death were, were, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The presence of the shepherd qualified because he endured the wrath of God and because he suffered the punishment of God in our place. But thirdly tonight, and found in verse 9 and like also in verse 10, there's the purpose of the shepherd. Look at the end of verse 9. That he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it is fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things and bringing many sons to glory, to make the author of their, of their salvation perfect through sufferings. That he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone, for it is fitting for him whom are by all things, and whom, whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory. The simple and yet mind-blowing meaning of that, if we can put it in human terms, is this. That unmerited grace, 
prompted Almighty God the Father to give His Son as the sacrifice for sin, and in doing so, transfer the guilt of our sin to Him. That the unmerited grace of God, nothing in us, nothing in us that would, that would qualify even God looking on us favorably, but the unmerited grace of God prompted God the Father to give a son as a sacrifice of sin and doing so transfer our guilt to him. The result is that bringing many sons to glory. Now, none of us as believers can claim any merit. As top lady wrote, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. None of us can claim any merit. None of us, as we sit here tonight as believers in Christ, no one from the, the highest king that has ever seen, that, that has ever known Christ the Savior from the down and out that, that, that has had that their life physically ruined with how their lifestyle and yet has come to faith in Christ, each one of them stands before the cross on the same level, saved by the wonderful grace of God. One note here I want to notice, and when it says that he, that, when it says that he might taste death for everyone, the writer of Hebrews is, Hebrews is not referring to a universal salvation. It's not referring that simply because Christ died, everyone's going to heaven, and there's nothing we can worry about or do. We're all going to heaven because caused that Christ has died. That is not what the writer is meaning. In fact, if you read, read the start of Hebrews and read it the whole way through, we, it's, referring to, it's referring to the provision of a substitute for those who will trust Christ as Savior. If I take you back to John 10, what John has been speaking on, John 10, 10 says this, I'm the good shepherd, the good shepherd that gives his life for the sheep. But a few verses later, Christ also says, but you do not believe because you're not of my sheep. So there's those that are in Christ, there's those that are out of Christ. Tonight, there's those two groups of people everywhere we go. Maybe even in this meeting tonight as well. Those that are saved by the grace of God, and I trust you're thanking God for that. Those, as David shared around the table this morning about the centurion when he had watched all and seen all that had happened on the cross and that he could stand there and look and say, truly, this was the Son of God. No, there's no wonderful, no more wonderful thing to behold than when we see someone who has heard the gospel for years and listened to the gospel for years and yet still can't grasp it. And yet when their spiritual eyes are open and they opened and they see Christ for who he is, that they see I've got it. That Christ died for me. So there's those that are there's those that are saved, and those that are in Christ, those that know Christ personally as saved, and there's those that are not in Christ, those that are still in their natural state of sin under the condemnation of God. They might be the nicest people in the world, or they could be the biggest rogues in the world, but yet they're still under the condemnation of God. For those in Christ tonight, for those of us in Christ tonight, the presence of the Shepherd in life and in death. It's promised, and it's his great blessing, and it's, it's, it's like a great comfort. Because die, be, be, because the Christ died in our place. He endured the wrath of God in our place. 
that we can have the certain hope, that, that no greater hope, that in death, one day as we travel the valley of death, it will be a journey into the presence of God for all eternity. You know, the wonderful thing is that we all know what shadows are, don't we? Shadows can never hurt us. It's wonderful when you, when you, when you watch films and all the rest and, and you see the picture and the lighting is such that, this sh- that a person suddenly sees a shadow and, and they're afraid, and yet you know, shadows can't hurt us. And to be a shadow, there must always be a source of light. Know as all of us one day in the will of God, and if the Lord tarries, if all of us one day will, will face the journey of the valley of the shadow of death, we need to be aware that our light source is the one who is the very light of the world. The one who is the good shepherd, the one who has tasted death for us. And yet there's a warning in chapter 2 as well of Hebrews. Warning in chapter 2 is verse 3 that we, we, we didn't read. How shall we escape if we, if we neglect so great salvation? No, there's no other way as to have our sins forgiven. No, no other way to know peace with God. No other way, no other means of getting right with God save through what God has done for us in Christ on the cross. That simple, faith, that simple act of faith that looks to Christ for sins forgiven. And confesses that sin before him. There's nothing. Nothing outside of Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. No, I haven't time to read it. But if you read chapters 3 and chapters 4 of Hebrews. Many, many times. I don't know how many times it's in. But there is this challenge to the listeners. Challenged, challenges to these people that he has written to. If you hear his voice. Do not harden your heart. Do not harden your heart. Sadly, there are many today in our world that know the gospel, that know the gospel inside out, know the gospel better than some of us that stand up in pulpits, and yet they've hardened their hearts to the wonder of it. They've hardened their hearts to the truth of it. And their hearts are so hard that they want nothing to do with Christ, nothing to do with his salvation. I wonder tonight as we come to a close, I wonder as you've listened to Pastor David and to John over this last number of weeks, as you've listened to the No Greater series and all the rest, and we come to the, come to this final night of Easter, and as we move on next week, I wonder if you ever, I wonder have you been challenged about your salvation? I wonder have you been challenged? I wonder have you felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Have you felt have you felt that voice speaking to you that, that, that tells you you're not right with God? You need to make yourself right. That if you die in your sins, it would be absent from the body and it wouldn't be present with the Lord, but. But lost eternity in hell forever. The warning tonight of Hebrews is this. Do not harden your heart. I wonder tonight as we close. I wonder if you've been spoken to. By something David or John. Or something that has been said tonight. Lord I wonder. Tonight I wonder will you come and speak to some of us. Will you come and speak to Pastor David. Speak to John. Speak to some of the rest. Speak to someone you know. And that truly this for you, if, uh, this for you could be the greatest happy Easter that, you have, that you've ever known when you've come and trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. We have no greater journey to make tonight. No greater journey to make but the journey of death. And yet, Psalm 23 tells us with the presence of the shepherd.
that shepherd is qualified because he endured the, because he, of the pain of the shepherd on the cross where he, where he endured the wrath of God for sin. And then the purpose of the shepherd to bring many sons to glory. Speaking to someone yesterday, they were out for a walk. Someone who, in their latter days of life, I would say, and they said to me, you know, we know, isn't life very short? Isn't life very short? Many of you are young here tonight. You're starting out in life. You've got your families. You're just married. You have young families and all the rest. And you think you've all of, li- all of life ahead. And the next big milestone for many of you is, is maybe your children starting school or, 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 or whatever. And yet when you've been through that school time and you've, your kids have left school and they're moved on and all that, you realize just how brief life is. And sometimes we begin to grasp the wonder of it all that we're just passing through, that God has prepared for us a home in heaven. No greater journey tonight. I wonder will you come and meet Christ as Savior and realize that you can have the shepherd with you even through that darkest journey that all of us will make.